is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the faith debate master of ceremonies, (laughs) Troy Skinner. We're going to finish the conversation that we started last week, talking about the biblical idea of fathership and what that all means. We got most of the way through, but there were some key points that were left out, so we're going to finish those up. And then we're going to jump into something we're going to probably talk about, I would imagine, for at least a couple of weeks on the show, and that is the idea of race, quote-unquote, relations, and what the Bible has to say about that. So uh, the last part of today's show will will begin that conversation, and then we'll carry it over into next week's conversation. Uh, You can find us at WFMD.com. Go to the Faith Debate page and get links to all the podcasts and that sort of thing there. You can follow us on Facebook, and you can follow me personally on Facebook if you want. I don't use any fancy monikers. I'm just Troy Skinner on all my social media. So you can find me on Facebook, on MeWe, Parlor, Gab. I spend most of my time on Parlor and MeWe these days. And uh, you, we have a new website. The church that uh, I head up has a new website now. We're excited about that. And so you can check that out. It's householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Anyways, let's finish up our thoughts on biblically honoring fathers here on the Faith Debate. And like I said, then we'll jump into our discussion about uh, black and white relations and, and that whole cultural thing that's been going on now in our country for uh, more than a year. Um, so I'm, I'm going to uh, make one last kind of biblical theological point, and then maybe we'll have some discussion. And if you have points you want to add in the comment section, you, you can do that. We'll try to interact with, with uh, questions or comments that come through the comments underneath this video. Every father, every human father, in history, without exception, has failed in some measure. There are no perfect fathers in a human sense. Some are worse than others. Some are far worse than others. Some are better than others, and some are far better than others. And if you have been stuck with a really, really rotten, horrible, bad father, and that's been your experience, we know that there are consequences to that. Right? The statistics say that if you have had a rotten father or no father in your life, that statistically you're prone to have more difficulties through your life, difficulties that might be really hard to overcome and move forward in your life. That said, that's no excuse. There are lots of people who have had disasters for fathers that through God's grace and through other means and, and methods are able to have incredibly successful, transformative, impactful lives. So it's not a get-out-of-jail card for somebody to say, well, I'm a rotten disaster mess, and I'm going to have to go to jail because my dad went to jail, and that's just the way it is. My dad was a drunk, so I'm going to be a drunk. That's just the way it is. My my dad was a no-good, no-account loser, so I'm going to be a no-good, no-account loser. That is not true. And if you give in to that lie, you're not speaking truth, and you're dishonoring not just your father and everybody around you are dishonoring yourself and you're dishonoring the maker who made you. And just because somebody had a really good father 
and a good experience doesn't mean that they don't have to hold themselves to account and hold temptation at bay and not trip up and make mistakes that their father didn't make. Just because you had a good parenting experience when you were growing up doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a good parent. You're going to have to work at it. So no matter what kind of father we had, we have to work at it. Some of us will have more to overcome, but you know what? I think there would be more blessing in those situations sometimes. To overcome all of those obstacles, you can look back and feel really good about the hand of God at work in your life, and you have a story to tell, and those stories can be really impactful and transformative for others who then hear your story because you're going to be able to relate to them. They're going to say, wow, but you have it so together, and your family is so wonderful, and your career is great, and you seem so... You know, you were made to be, a it seems like you were just born to be a leader, and you've probably never had any challenges. And then to hear you share all these challenges you've had, and yet, look where you are, gives me hope. So if you had a hard time growing up, as you get older, you're going to have a story to tell that's going to give others hope that somebody who didn't have those challenges is going to have a harder time doing. So God can and will and does use all things for good, even when others meant it for evil. We need to keep that in mind. So we want to own the reality. We want to speak the truth. We want to identify and understand and internalize that truth. And sometimes the truth is horrifying. And sometimes the truth brings us to a place of depression and sadness and anger. And sometimes those emotions are exactly the right appropriate emotion to experience. But the negative emotions cannot be where we camp out and live forever. So it is right to be angry at something that someone did to you, but it is not healthy or wise or good to stay angry forever. It is right and proper to be sad over a circumstance that has happened to you, but it is not healthy and good and right to stay sad and depressed forever. We need to work against that. We need to exercise our own personal demons in a non-spiritual sense, the, the kinds of things that plague us. And, and in a spiritual sense, demons will try to use those chinks in our armor to attack us and accuse us and say things like, you had a rotten father because you didn't deserve a good father. And that is not true. You do deserve, we all deserve a good father. And if you're a believer in Christ, you are co-heir with the eternal Son of God. All that Jesus has, he shares with you. And what does the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what does Jesus have? He has sonship to the Father. A Father who told him on more than one occasion that you are my Son, in you I am very well pleased. The Father in heaven has that attitude towards his Son, and his Son, if you're a Christian, you are a co-heir in all of that. And so you have a father who loves you. And if you're a Christian, when he looks at you, he says, in you, I am very well pleased. So if the accuser comes and wags a finger at you and says, well, you have a no account dad because you're a no account person and you're never going to amount to anything. Those are lies. God, the father in heaven, speaks the truth and he tells you otherwise. He loves you. He is perfect. He never abuses. He never loses control. 
He is not going to lie to you or manipulate you or uh, everything that God does for you is for your good. Unlike even the best human fathers, even sometimes fathers and human fathers who mean well do the wrong thing in meaning well. Sometimes there are consequences to good intentions that weren't thought through, who weren't, weren't wise. So ultimately we have a father in heaven who is the ultimate father. And our job as fathers, and this is true for mothers, and I'm using the masculine terms in these parenting. One is Father's Day, and that's the theme, but I'll, I'll make an additional point on that in just a second. We all have a perfect model to follow after. And so if you are trained up by a good father, then you should follow after that father insofar as that father was following after Christ. And if you have a father who was an utter disaster as a father, then you can learn from those mistakes and know what not to do because you know what not following after Christ looks like and you're going to choose the way, the path that leads to righteousness. So whether you have a good father or a bad father, you can learn how to be a good father yourself and there is no excuse for not striving to be a good father. And I've been using father, even though the, 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 fifth, the uh, fifth commandment talks about honoring your father and mother, against his father's days, so we're focusing on father, and I was talking about sonship, and there's been a move in the church over the last couple of decades to try to neuter the language, and to talk about a God who's a he, she, and to go out of your way to talk about the brotherhood and sisterhood that believers have with Christ, and that's true as far as it goes. It really is, and I'm not fighting against it, but I do want to make the point of clarification. Biblically speaking, sonship is important because of the context within which the Bible was written. And so the sons were the inheritors. The sons were the ones that benefited in that culture from what their father had to give them. And so Dina is a daughter, of, uh, is God's daughter, but spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, she is a son because she shares in the inheritance. Doesn't mean that she's masculine or male, but she shares in the, in the inheritance that sons got during ancient times. And so we don't want to neuter the language because we, we lose that lesson, which is a pretty darn important lesson. Um, absolutely. Um, we can... I think it's just to the point where I was saying, if, if, if you have a good parent, a good father, then that means in the ways that they're good are the ways that they're following after Christ, and we should follow after that. In the ways that they're not so good, those are negative examples we can learn to, so we learn what to avoid. Right. And then you do, and, but then you only know what not to do, but you don't know what to do. Exactly. And that's where you have to turn to the Heavenly Father and examples of good father. Exactly. And the Bible is rife with full of bad fathers right i mean david was a horrible father i mean david and absalom didn't exactly see eye to eye <laughs> eli famously a bad father his he was the high priest and his, and his sons were a, a total disaster right. Right. because eli was out to lunch um uh, jacob it would appear that he played favorites among his sons which caused all sorts of problems there are lots of really uh, right down the line, most of the story, um, uh, Abraham 
you know, definitely favored one son over the other, basically disowned one son, practically speaking. Right. Uh, so there are all sorts of bad examples of fathers in the Bible, and we can learn from those what not to do. Now, they are called to live a certain life, and they don't. And those are reminders, just like in our own practical experiences, there are reminders that we don't want to fall prey to misunderstanding that we can experience the fullness of heaven and glory in the here and now. So all these negative things that happen in our life are reminders that there's something so much greater that is awaiting us, and it calls us to that hope that we're, that we're to hang on to. We aren't to have our hope placed in our government. We're not to have our hope placed in what we're able to do ourselves, and we're not to place our hope in our parents. We can hope to have good parents. We can hope to have a good government. We can hope to have good lives. We don't place our hope in those things. We place our hope in God himself. And so sometimes the only thing that's honorable about, it would seem to me, that is honorable about a person is that is the position of, of authority and weight. Because again, honoring has to do with weightiness. The position of weight that they carry in society and in your life, the only thing that's honorable about them is the weight itself. And so I think there are times, like think about when I mean, you hear stories. So that you choose to not hate them in your heart, which you shouldn't do anyway. So that's one way to honor them. You're going to say, look, choose to forgive them. everything almost that I know about that person was dishonorable. Everything they chose to do, with the rarest of exceptions, was miserable and rotten. And I'm not going to honor the miserable and rotten things. I'm going to call them out for what they are. I'm going to process through them. I'm going to identify those sins. How to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, well, the therapy is going to help you identify right. those sins and identify the damage that those sins have done to you because sure. you're going to understand how much shrapnel we've been hit with. Right. You know, we, we, we the, the major injuries we identify right away, but the smaller injuries don't get noticed until maybe you, you do a deeper dive. And maybe you come to a place where the only thing you can honor about a particular father is the fact that they were a father. And so I'm going to honor the title and the position and the authority that should have gone with him. And I'm going to honor him positionally, but not personally, because there was nothing personal to honor. That said, even the worst people, you can usually find something. Maybe they had a good sense of humor, you can honor that. They had a good wit, or they were smart, you can honor their intelligence. You can usually find something. They were a good dresser, they were a safe driver. You can, you can find something about them that you can honor, but generally speaking, their life was a mess. You're not going to honor the mess. You're going to lie about the mess. You're going to call the mess what it is, because if you can't identify their mess, how are you going to avoid it yourself? Well, I think that gets to what I was saying a few minutes ago. We can hope for a good father, and if we're blessed by having those hopes realized, we can be thankful and grateful to God. And I think one of the ways you can avoid, it, but we place our hope in God. All right. So I want to emphasize that this, this, this distinction. So if you hope for a good job and you get one, your hope isn't placed in the job. Your hope is placed in the God who gave you that job. You hope for a good father, but you don't place your hope in that father. You place your hope in the God who gave you that good father. So everything is directed to God. So it's either you're directing your 
your your heart and your attitude and your focused attention to the greatness of God and all that He's given you that's good, or you're focusing your energies and positive and everything to God, uh, beseeching Him for rescue from all that's bad in your life. But everything's about focusing on God. God is the quote unquote idol in your life. Right. Or should be. Right. Absolutely. And so he's the object of your affection. So when you honor your your wonderful father, you have uh, father's knows best as your father, you know, from sure. the nineteen sixties. Sure. Or you have uh, well, not in his personal life, but in his television portrayal, Bill Cosby in the eighties, a Cosby show. He was a great father. If you have that father in your life, you thank God for that father. You don't idol worship your father. You're grateful for your father, and it's easier than to honor that father the way that the God we placed your hope in has told you to do. Mm -hmm. And then, and they can learn uh, by watching the husband and wife, but then also learn by how the parents, and in this case we're talking about the fathers, but interact with them, so they understand what spiritual headship looks like, what mutual submission looks like, what what. Um, what love and harmony in, in a family context can look like. And one of the things that fathers should be doing for their kids, and it plays out differently whether they're a, a, a male or a female child, but it's affirmation and love. And I'm not sure necessarily in that order, but if, if the son feels affirmed in his masculinity and in his ability to develop into a spiritual head of a home himself someday, and he's trained up to believe that he doesn't have to prove himself as a man. He has developed into a man through the guidance of his father and his mother, too. But uh, he, he has developed in. He doesn't have to prove himself through negative behavior. He doesn't have to rebel and, and be overly macho or take unhealthy risks or be a tough guy or demonstrate that he's independent by re, by being you know a jerk or being violent or anything like that and so if they feel loved they feel protected and if they feel affirmed they feel equipped so if you feel protected and equipped you're going to go out there and take chances and live your life because you know that you've been affirmed saying I should be able to do this and even if I fail, I know I'm loved, so I've got a fallback position where I'm safe. There's a safety net back there. So fathers should be affirming their sons to go live the lives of men, knowing that as they stumble and learn how to be fully developed men, they're going to make mistakes, that they still have unconditional love from their father as a backstop. Mm -hmm. And for the women, for the young women, the daughters, it's the same thing. You want the daughters to know that they're affirmed in their femininity, affirmed in their, their beautifulness, affirmed in their intelligence and all that they are, that they're capable, they can do good, and that if the world throws them some curveballs, if they have a bad hair day or their oily skin leads them to have acne and they don't feel so beautiful and their friends are mean to them and the boys are ignoring them during the awkward teenage years and all that sort of stuff, You've been affirming them, but they're not really owning and feeling that affirmation. They feel a little awkward, but they don't have to prove that they're worthy. They don't have to prove that they're beautiful. They don't prove that boys are going to like them by doing things that too many young people are doing, you know, sleeping around and 
and, and doing that whole scene that's not healthy because even if they don't feel like all those things that they were told are true, their backstop is their father loves them. They don't have to seek love in all that old song, right? Looking for love. In all the wrong places. Yeah, looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, they're not going to be as prone to look for love in all the wrong places if they know for the last, well, depending on how old they are, right? The last 12, 15, 20, 25 years of their life that they've had a father who has been relatively consistent in demonstrating that there's an unconditional love and support there. So fathers are huge. And then if fathers aren't there, this is swinging back to like a half hour ago, if you're a young lady who's watching this and you don't have a good father, that's not an excuse to go look for love in all the wrong places <laughs> because you do have a good father ultimately. You have a good father heavenly. And so if you're earthly father hasn't done his job, you have to look to your heavenly parent. And it's the same with mothers. If you don't have a good earthly mother, you have, as an example, you have to look to your heavenly parent to look for what parents are supposed to do, what that positional authority is supposed to bring with it. And that puts a wrap on our thoughts of the uh, how we should biblically honor our fathers as we ready ourselves for Father's Day this month. As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, next week we're going to dive into spending some time on the show about uh, how to understand, quote-unquote, race, the biblical understanding of that. So let me give you just a little bit of some, some teaser material in the final moments of minutes of today's show of the, the kinds of things you might expect in the coming weeks here on the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD. I'm going to... Uh, there's a ton that could be said, so I'm going to try to outline it first uh, as concisely as I can think of by actually reading a short, um, relatively short Facebook post from a few weeks ago that I wrote that helps to encapsulate and frame some of the, the bigger issues. Uh, and then we're going to have an academic schoolhouse experience where I'm going to share some important terms. Hopefully these terms will resonate with you in a way that's understandable. If they don't stick, the terms themselves don't stick, at least hopefully the concepts of, and what they represent will, and it'll help you to understand and interpret what's going on around you in the world and in the news reports and, and that sort of thing better. Uh, and then we're going to transition and talk about Black Lives Matter, um, particularly, I mean, the movement, but also the organization and what is going on there. And you'll see how all of this ends up relating together. Um, and then we'll finally transition into speaking specifically about what the biblical understanding about race is, uh, in contrast to all the other things that we'll talk about leading up to that. It's, I mean, Chicago is a really interesting, almost like case study. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of, of people are, are murdered in Chicago. And it, it's like, I think it's like 90 plus percent of, uh, same, uh, ethnic group on same ethnic group violence and the group most devastated by it is black on black crime and Chicago is an interesting case study because it's approximately one-third white one-third Hispanic one-third black so you'd expect the murder victims to be one-third white one-third Hispanic one-third black but they're not they're overwhelmingly black <laughs> and yeah to our point uh, Angela said it uh, Jerry said it where are the protests about that it, yeah, it's devastating. I get fired up about this because what we have done as a culture and a society to black families and individual black experiences in this country 
is it's just it's devastating what we've done through policy and uh, and the the the, uh, the law of unintended consequences that you know sometimes people mean well and bad things happen and they're blind to it sometimes many people don't even mean well and and we give them the benefit of the doubt when we shouldn't. And so there's a little teaser of the kinds of stuff we'll be talking about next week and perhaps a couple of weeks even after that here on The Faith Debate. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening this morning to The Faith Debate as we're in this you know, special lockdown tapes edition uh, of the show. Uh, not our typical panel discussions. We're still trying to tackle, tackle the interesting and hot topics and, and uh, put you know, a faith uh, perspective on the kinds of issues, whether it's you know, how we live our lives personally or how we interact with the world around us more generally. Find us online at WFMD.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, on Gab, on MeWe, on Parlor, and at HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. That's HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. It's a, a new website we've got, so you can follow along with what I'm doing on the Faith Debate Show and other things related to the church that I head up. So anyway, till next week, again, thanks for listening. 167 and a half hours from right about now is when we'll be back. Till then, God bless.